This is PigCast. We're starting anyways. It's uh, July, mid-July, 2022. Uh, this is Matt Moss speaking. I'm joined, I'm going to go by order of arrival. <laughs> Arriving first, hailing from Tinley Park, is Tim Barron. Hello, Tim. Hello. Joined as well by fellow Logan Squareite, soon-to-be Wicker Park PM, uh, Lauren Elman. Always a pleasure to be here. I don't know, Wicker Parker? Wicker Parker. Mm, yeah. I Wicker, Wicker Parkian was my first instinct, but yeah. Wicker Parker does sound better. Um, okay, so tonight we have a couple things on the agenda. It's been a while since we recorded, so we'll do a little bit of a catch-up. And then uh, we may or may not be joined by one Nick Rohr of Edgewater, um, who is uh, out west of here in parts unknown. Maybe he'll do a run-in, WWF style. He says, I thought I just had to take the Kimball bus. Kind of annoyed that Maps auto-corrected me to so far away. Well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll do our best. We'll muddle through. You know, this whole like old school sets review has been his gimmick. Uh, but um, and I'm sure he had like a bunch of details <laughs> prepared for the discussion of antiquities tonight. But how about we just wing it? Yeah, let's go. All right. Tim, how you been? I'm doing good, doing good, especially in uh, middle school Marauders. <laughs> yeah. Had a good little run. Yeah. Yeah, why don't, why don't we um, catch up on that first? And uh, Tim, if you'll set that up, I'm going to go turn off the air conditioner real quick so it's not roaring into the mic here. Sure, so uh, a couple days ago at the D-Men, Saturday morning, nice little five rounds of middle school. How many people were there? Like 26, something like that? I think 24 or 26. I think we ended up with an even number. I think I think Nate ended up sitting out to make it even. Yeah. Just kind of chilling. He doesn't like magic anyway, so. Yeah, just hanging. But good weather. It wasn't, it wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. The vibe was cool. Yeah, yeah, they just uh, propped open the front and the back door, had a nice breeze going through. And people were comboing. Oh yeah, a lot of combo guys. I think, I think Lauren, you made that comment. There's a lot of combo going on. Yeah, a lot of combo in general and a lot of combo in the top eight. Yeah. So I was on a combo deck, Blue Red Devourer. I like that deck. It's a really cool deck. That's what I played on Lord's House. And I, you know, leading up to this Marauders meetup, I just didn't really have a whole lot of energy for brewing anything new. And I still had that deck assembled and I switched out like, I think three or four cards on the sideboard and let it go. And it, Do you have the Stifle Knot in there? No, that's not a bad idea to put a little mini Stifle Fling Knot package in there. Maybe even out of the side. Follows the artifact theme. Yeah, and that's definitely a trip is just jamming Stifle Knot into any possible deck. Yeah. My first round opponent was a, a guy that I played before, Chet. He was on uh, Blue White Replenish. You know, pretty stock. I had seen it before as a pretty stock build. I think he was using like Squeeze for value for the careful studies and the frantic searches and uh, what is it, attunement? And uh, I started playing him, and he goes turn two Stifle Knot. So. <laughs> He just jammed that in because um, with the Parallax cards, <laughs> Parallax Wave, Parallax Tide, Stifle is great for those cards. Yeah, yeah. You can just discard uh, the Knot to Attunement later in the game if it's not doing anything for you. So he got me pretty good with that one. 
uh, random programming notes. So Roar is going to be here in about 10 minutes. And then, uh, you know, we'll let him on up. But we may as well just keep doing this Marauders catch-up before we dig into the meat. But uh, so to your point, Lorraine, about Stifle not appearing everywhere, Ray was play, playing Reanimator, but and he jammed the Stifle Knot package in there as well. So uh, game one, I just smashed him with the with the Devourer Alter combo. Game two, I board in four crypts. Right, he's on Reanimator, so it's easy choice. Um, my opening seven is a double crypt opener. I'm like, no sweat, <laughs> you know. He he's on the play. He dresses one crypt away. No problem. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. It's like I don't care, dude. Use your dress. I'll still keep the other crit. So he um, careful studies or whatever puts like an acroma in a spirit of night in the bin. Then he goes reanimate. I'm like crypt. And he's like, nope, stifle. <laughs> Stifles the crypt. Yeah. Gets the acroma. Beats me down with it. And I'm like, God damn it, Ray, you magnificent bastard. <laughs> yeah, that's a good play. And I'm like, wow, you know, he. I never saw um, a dreadnought hit play, but that stifle just on its own right there. Was just a nice little piece of tech against uh, against the crypt. Yeah, I like Stifling Dragon. Yeah. In the World Gorger combo. Yeah. yeah. Do you play a, a Dreadnought in there? I don't, but I probably should. <laughs> probably should. Yeah. Probably should. <laughs> oh, I just got my Dreadnoughts back from Pete Ventures, and they look great with a excuse me with a shadow sign on them. And it'd be cool to build some kind of Stifle Knot. Again, I remember um, pre-pandemic when we were playing middle school at Jayco's and, and Sanders was on a pretty heavy blue black heavy black bill that had like a bunch of discard um, and yeah I think that deck has come a long way since it's just more like the blue black disruption and counter spells or whatever although that's still a good deck that's what you won a now romancing the deck, stones right? yeah or was it Esper a league no no it was just blue black yeah um, yeah, I mean, that deck is great, and against fair decks, it's totally... Un it's just like you're playing a different format deck. That's what it feels like. Against hard control or some disruptive combo, it, it can it can uh, yeah. have some difficulty. But yeah, it's just like getting Counterspell, Daze, Force of Will, Gush, Duress, <laughs> yeah. Limduel's Vault. Like, that is such a powerful suite of cards. Yeah. Yeah, you're basically just always doing what you want to do or controlling the board yeah with that set yep you're but, just presenting a threat and backing it up disrupting the hand before it comes down the struggle is versus like artifacts and enchantments i mean you hit like all those do interact with them but not when they're on the board yeah right yeah so i had struggled at lord's house with the blue red devourer deck against enchantment stuff like oath of Dru or, or not oath yeah oath no no not oath um it stands still oh still um, and um, at that time, I didn't have Russian rivers, and I brought those in from the side, or I put those in my sideboard, and I brought those in against Morin and had a nice little sequence there in the last game. Yeah. Which I told Tyler about, right? And then because he was working on his write up for the website, and like we got home on Saturday night, and he's like in a manic frenzy. He's like, I gotta type this up. I wanna like capture everything while it's fresh in my mind. And I was like working on my deck pick, and we were kind of swapping stories of good wins and bad beats. And I told him the story, and like, lo and behold, he was like dictating what I had down. I'm like, oh shit, you know, just like what I told him ended up, you know, in print. Yeah, that was a good set of games. So yeah, that was, it was. Uh, game yeah. game five. We were both uh, two and two. Yeah, absolutely nothing at stake. But who has a winning record? Who has a losing record? Devourer versus Naya Enchantress. And uh, yeah, it was an interesting game. It was an interesting three game set. I'd say really, it was like the most interesting game was game three. 
uh, I dropped a cursed totem pretty early. I kept a hand that was like two lands, a couple other things, and light and tutor. I had the one of cursed totem in the sideboard, so I grabbed that, laid it down. Uh, Moss did not scoop, so I was like, well, he probably has some kind of way to deal with this, you know, probably Russian yeah. River or something Normally like that. Normally I would scoop. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> oh, you played a card that means I can't play my one win con, I'm done. <laughs> right, right. Uh, creatures can't can't activate, or you can't activate creatures' abilities. Yeah. So uh, I stalled on lands for a while, started to get my engine up and running, was like getting, you know, Enchantress's presence, yeah. getting the land drops, almost yeah. like going off. W what Were you missing a piece that you were still kind of digging for? Yeah, I mean, I needed, I needed, uh, Squirrel Nest, right? I needed Squirrel Nest, yeah. And I had two Earthcrafts out and some other yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. and uh, just didn't really have any tutors. Was yeah. really like uh, mana constrained. Well, you would tutor for answers, that's why, right? Because you tutored for the totem. Yeah, I tutored for and the totem. Or silence, right? Uh, or not? Or did you draw that? I don't think I tutored oh. for that. I think I just drew it. I, it, I think I just had it in my hand. Because I was basically dead, and then but I just got like I had to finish him sign over my head for like five turns. And I couldn't finish and it. You yeah. just couldn't finish like, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't put it together. Yeah. So yeah. like uh, so so like in retrospect, if I would have had Null Rod, that plan would have worked a lot better. Oh yeah. Because what you did was like I actually do things every turn. You know, yeah. even though like your grim model if cost four, you could. You could do that. You could cast sure. it. You could slowly play out stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. and get a board state ready where, you know, end of turn or whatever, rushing river, the cursed totem, and a seal of cleansing. Yeah. I pop your altar of dementia, but you have fling and... Uh, and tinker. Yeah, fling and tinker. Yeah. Yeah, that was a wacky game. That was one that, again, like, normally I would have scooped probably four out of five times on that one, but, you know... I probably am a little too aggressive with my scooping, but it's yeah. just like you always got to play it out. I I was uh, I played a three game set against Carter and ended up losing the match to him. Uh, but the second game, I was like on the back foot and just barely, like just barely staying alive. He's playing Feb. Yeah, I'm gonna go let him and sure. finish that tail. Uh, I drop humility, so all of his creatures are one ones. His only real answer is naturalize, which I think he only has a couple of. I actually don't know if he was playing naturalize. The last time I saw his sideboard, it was like three um, uh, vigilantes. So he may have not actually had a way. So his plan is, you know, just like play a bunch of little guys, a little like he he drops a couple uh, birds and is just like trying to get in enough damage. And um, I have Miri's Guile out, so I basically find my Enchantresses and play them just to have 1-1 one, one blockers get a um, Squirrel Nest online. And just and I end the game at one life. Wow. Like, he just runs out of 1-1s one, to kill me with, and then I get the Earthcraft uh, uh, for the win. Humility is a powerful card. Even oh. in the combos, there's a lot of kind of creatures going on that are contributing to combos. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether it was main deck worthy or not, but I definitely like it in the main deck. I mean, it answers, like, FEB doesn't have an answer to a game one. Lots of survival decks that really depend on those utility creatures. Mm -hmm. Once you lock them out with humility like that, they can only just try to attack with one ones. That's their only way. And, like, solitary confinement and even things like Squirrel Nest can, can stop, you know, their barrage of one ones at that point. Speaking of solitary confinement, we're joined by Nick Rohr, who's fashionably late. What's that, what's your shirt say? I don't like shit. I don't go outside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a great so, album. So what what happened here? What, why? I, I, I was like, I don't like to leave things up to chance. And I copy and pasted your address into Maps. 
and that pulled it. I was like, I'll just get an Uber there because I was getting out of a meeting. And then I got dropped off at 4302, and I was like, that doesn't feel right, but. And then I looked and I was like, no, it's definitely not like for our messages. So <laughs> I swear, I always like don't like to leave things to chance and like retype and get it wrong. So I don't know if it was just a weird autocorrect from Maps, but I'm here. <laughs> so Hey, you're here. That's what matters. Yeah. So to catch you, to bring you up to speed and, and for the benefit of our listeners here, we are our listener. Uh, we are going over our decks from Middle School Marauders. Fantastic. Um, the prize support was, uh, we got some nice prize support. Bob did a good chaos orb for first place that went to Tim. Did you go over blood your, what was, what was that? It was on a blood moon. What did I say? Chaos. I said chaos orb. Yeah. That'd be a hell of a prize. <laughs> that would be a hell of a prize. <laughs> it, did like, no, it was like a chaos orb style yeah. art type altar on a blood moon. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it looked awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was sweet. So that went to Tim. And so congrats on the 5-0, even though it was a cheesy oh still list. It was. It was. And then, uh, then uh, Nick, you got a card that's en route from Taylor Coyle that did yep. a recurring nightmare. What did you do to earn that uh, prize? <laughs> so the secret is, <laughs> I mean, I built something I was pretty happy with. I thought it would work. Um, and I think I learned that uh, every deck is its worst matchup. So uh, <laughs> I thought it was pretty, it was a pretty cool deck though. Um, but it's like Sands of Times and, or Sands of Time and Equipoise. And with like Enlightened Tutor, um, I figured I could put the combo together fast enough. I took some pretty bad advice from, and I still don't know who this is. So <laughs> whoever, who in the Discord is, Scatman Jablonski. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Scatman strikes. <laughs> because I posted a list with land tax and scroll rack as my, which is like a time tested yeah. system. Mm -hmm. Battle hardened combat. And then they were like, no, that's not, you got to do lands that pitch themselves, like Ruins of Trocare, Crystal Vein. And I am admittedly a sucker for cards that don't get played. You know what I mean? Like I'm a champion for that. So I was like, okay, you're, you're talking my language. So in like archeological dig, like cards like that, that they sacrifice to produce mana. So if I could combo out with no lands, the combo would render, you know, like it would just go into effect. I would need a Zurin orb. I would need an Armageddon to make the combo trigger. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. And every game was just always being one turn behind exactly when I needed to go, which I thought if I had the scroll rack Lantex combo, I would be ahead. And if I was running main deck Armageddon, then I would have the kind of pressure I needed, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that going the janky route really cost me virtually every game that I had versus if I would have played more, which makes sense, but I mean, like when I heard it, I was like, I'm willing to try that do you, out. Do you know what Scatman Jablonski played in uh, Marauders? No, I don't know who that. I don't even know who that is. It was a stock pre-modern sly list. Just okay, well that's sick. Just <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Who is that? Do we? Know, is it, should we not say? Is that a more? Important? Well, how about we just leave the Scatman anonymous? All right. So anyway, but when I posted it, they were posting like links to all these cards. Like this is how you should build it. And no one else was saying anything, so like I'll give it a shot. And I didn't have a chance to test it out. No. So I was like, I was willing to give it a shot. But I learned, I think, the hard way that the like the janky route on that combo is not like it needed a stronger deck to support the combo. And all these lands that sacrifice themselves, it does and I guess for anybody listening who doesn't know, like 
equipoise is at the beginning of your upkeep, you exile the excess number of artifacts, creatures, and lands your opponent controls that you do. So if you don't have any creatures, their creatures get phased out. If you don't have any lands, their lands get phased out. If you don't have any artifacts, etc., or whatever they have more than you gets phased out. And then with Sands of Time, it skips your untapped. Everybody skips their untapped steps. So things phase in on your untapped steps. So they would stay phased out until Sands of Time gets removed. So it's a really cool combo if you can, you know, pull that off. And it made it stood to reason that if your lands would sacrifice themselves to put the combo into play, they would need a turn to like deal with a combo before being locked out of the game. So once you lock your opponent out, hypothetically, I mean, you didn't do a lot of winning on the day, but... I had, did 0% winning. Had, yeah. <laughs> had you gotten a W or two, what yeah. was your win con? So there was... And what I do like about it is it gives you opportunities for different win cons. So you have like Opalescence okay. um, to win with like Parallax Waiver. Even your Equipoise becomes like a 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. Um, you had Black Vice. So okay. my problem with Black Vice is like people can play into that. Yeah. You know, they can throw lands in to get phased out just to stay away from Black damage yeah. so I didn't love that and then there's also spirit mirror which is um, it creates a reflection token and then you can like it you only ever really you max out at one reflection token but it's still a 2-2 creature so you can still like put pressure on like there are ways to you know get in once you've like locked up the board it's a tough road though it is but I was excited because the other cards in the deck other than, all the ones stated so far are trash but like Orange Chant is a great card. Like, I love that card a lot. I really wanted an excuse to use it in middle school. And you have Abayance on the sideboard, so then you also have this like main deck like counter protection from your combo. And you also have a way to buy yourself more turns, you know, on their turn with your with your cards. So I don't know. It, it felt like it would do more than it did. And I think I'm not I'm not throwing it out. Like the towel is not completely thrown in, but the Sacklands option I think is just too slow. For the meta, like I almost kind of thought too. Even if my, even if I faced my worst deck, I would like, I would like clean up in like the later, like the subsequent matches. And it was just like everybody. It was just like a pummeling from like every deck. Yeah. And I didn't face the same deck twice. I just got devastated by everything. So, <laughs> uh, well, you there, do have a, a very nice altered recurring nightmare. Yeah, I'm excited for your efforts. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. I want to hear a little bit about the 5-0 deck. Were, were there, did you make any interesting choices in the so, deck construction? I mean, was there I anything mean, that's surprising? I didn't copy a, a 7 Yeah, five. right, right. Uh, but that being said, I don't think I really did anything super interesting. I mean, I played 10 Manlands, which I think is on the higher side Tree when people knows, play. Conquers. Yeah, I played and Mistress Factory. What's the 4 Factory? Four, yeah, four village. two fairy conclaves. So that, uh, lots of lands, oaths, standstills. Uh, I really wanted to play Force of Will, so I had to force a lot of blue cards in there. I ended up playing Counterspell, Mana Leak, the Force of Will, and the Portent. <laughs> Getting your hand forced on all those cards. <laughs> Man, so, uh, Mana Leak was actually very good. How is Portent in that list? Portent. I just love Portent. Yeah. You like it better than the alternatives, than the peaks or the opts of the world? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, the sorcery is kind of a big deal when you are when you have Mana Leak and Counterspell. Uh, but, I, but I like it a lot. I had enough fetch lands to make it work. Scroll Rack was really good. 
The, I ended up throwing one in just because I was like... Nick could have used one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I did run two. <laughs> I wanted to be able to put my creatures back, and I'm only playing two creatures. I had thought of playing three creatures with the Oath, but I only played two. So I was like, if I draw one or two of these, I got I to gotta have a way to get them back in. But just when I naturally drew the card, very, very good. So you had, what, Morphling and Neshoba? Uh, Chroma. Oh, Chroma and Chroma and Neshoba. Gotcha. They were very good. Uh, main deck ray of revelation was very very good. Oof. Who did you play yeah. against? So, or what, what decks? Yeah. So I played against a uh, palancron survival deck. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I played against an oath mirror. That was brutal. Mm -hmm. Like if you play oath, there's a chance you'll play an oath mirror, and it's pretty brutal. But I think my particular Oath deck lined up against uh, en Enrique was on Oath. Yeah. And I, like I just had more of the man lands. That's so what I was going to ask. So yeah, I think that's, that's kind of, yeah, you know, that sounds right. Oath versus Oath. I had 10 man lands. I think he had like two. I don't remember exactly what he said he had, but I just had a lot more. So it was just activate Treetop Village attack, and he's just, just kind of sitting there. Just didn't really have enough answers for him. Yeah. I played against Carter on Full English Breakfast. We had a insane game three. Yeah. We had game one blowout, game two blowout into a quite insane game three. I he got a pretty early stifle knot down, and this is where the Ray of Revelations were messing me up because they don't do anything versus that. So I had Ray of Revelation in my hand, and now I'm digging for Seal of Cleansing. But I had Scroll Rack out, so I had Scroll Rack into Port and Shuffle, and I was digging, and I ended up finding it. And I stabilized at uh, one life. By the time I killed Dreadnought, I was at two. He played his last card in his hand, I forced it, and I'm at one life. Just staying afloat. And just eventually got there. He just ran out of gas. Crazy, crazy match. I was like a good meatball defeat story. <laughs> He's very good. It's very tough to get a match win against Carter. Uh, I ended up playing against Grant with Green Black Rock. Yeah. Uh, kind of just a bad matchup for him. Things like Wall of Blossoms and yeah. Birds of Paradise. Like you're just like, okay, play Oath of Druids. <laughs> it's like it's like really, really no rough on them. Yeah. yeah. All that all the disruption in the world won't stop that Oath that was, that was a rough match on him. And then I ended up playing Brawn in the last round. Main deck Ray of Revelation saved me from Humility. I mean, I probably ought to lose to Humility with my list, but the Ray of Revelation helped there. Even with the Man Lands? Oh yeah, I guess they kind of get past uh, Humility. He definitely had Man Lands as well. Do Man Lands get past Humility? Yeah, because the effect... Basically because the effect happens after Humility is on the board. They're just... Regular manlands, but I ended up getting to oath. I don't. I don't know if, if man actually. Knew. So the creature doesn't when you you activate a factory, it doesn't check to see that there's a humility in play and then convert from two two into one one. I think it overwrites the state. Yeah, it's. I don't know about the layers and stuff, but the the rough way that that stuff happens is whatever effect that happens last is the effect that sticks. So like they're both these kind of. Uh, state-based effects but humility happens first the man land happens second and so if like somehow you were to activate a man land and then on the same turn the humility is played then it turns into a 1-1 I believe 
I don't know if it goes back to being a landed end turn or if it just stays up on one. Hmm. Humility is a hell of a card. It's like a really complicated card that kind of fucks up the game a little bit. Yeah. It is very complicated. I remember even a long time ago with like Humility and Crusade, and I don't know if this is how it works now, but you would have to keep track of the order in which they came in. So if you played Crusade, then Humility, all your creatures would be 1-1s. One if you played Humility and then Crusade, all your creatures would be 2-2. Two two. Now that's how it worked in like 1999. Yeah. I don't know if that's how so it works So it doesn't now. work like Blood Moon. So the lands played after the Blood Moon see the Blood Moon and turn into a mountain. Yeah. I mean, new creatures do too. Like new creatures that come into play are still 1-1s. One it's just that you, it's like the activated yeah, ability. because it's another static effect with yeah. the Crusade, for example. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Nick, you look like you. <laughs> it makes sense. Just it's <laughs> it's like oh, you're a creature. You're not a one-one. Got it. <laughs> Layers. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, anyways, a good a good meatball beating. That's good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Braun ended up making some one ones, which is I think he just he just didn't know what I was on. I thought I had two oaths in my hand like the whole game, and he finally cycled decree, made a couple one ones. I threw some oaths in play, and that was good enough. Yeah, that was your 40-minute game one. <laughs> that was that was a 40-minute game one, and we didn't finish game two. Yeah, there you go. Which was good enough for a match win. That's good. uncharacteristic. Good enough for a 5-0. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, anything else about Marauders? I, I, our charity, once again, was the D-Men meal program we raised, I think, like 240 or 260 bucks. so decent showing there. It was good. Oh, you know, let's shout out Tyler. He had traveled back from California for this event. In fact, scheduling the event was his idea because he's like, I'm going to be in town. Let's do an event while I'm here. So kudos to him. Hell yeah. All right. Um, you want to transition to the uh, the original intent of this evening's convo, Mr. Roar? Oh, yeah. Okay, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so I know there's a lot of people tuning in because of the like celebrated and largely lauded like uh, Arabian Nights um, retrospective that we did. And there was a lot of people demanding that we do an uh, antiquities uh, retrospective. So enough with like the begging, enough with the demands, here it is. (laughs) All right, antiquities. Chapter two of our multi-part uh, old school sets, retrospective. So I'm a little ignorant on this. Is this are we going in chronological order? Is this the second expansion? Yes. Yes. Or Raven Nights. Okay. Yes. But an interesting question. It's like that is all like up to chance because the demand for magic was much more than expected, and there were like four sets that were commissioned like immediately because. ABU, they just happened in rapid succession because they didn't really know how much people were going to like ask for the game. And it was like the first game they ever did that. Usually games like a box set of cards, you buy that. So this was like the first collectible card game. And, and they didn't want to flood the market with it or diminish the value. But every time they'd release cards, they'd sell out. They'd sell out. When they saw that trend, they were like, make these four sets. So there is no chronological order. Where they were supposed to have happened. Right. There was no, like, this, this, this. It was, like, when it's done and ready, put it out. Right. So Richard Garfield kind of headed the Arabian Nights. Like, he really wanted that to happen first. And as you can tell, that one has, like, 
little or nothing to do with the plot at large. It was just sort of like, this is like a cool idea to uh, pick up, you know, the this sort of uh, literary place, which didn't really, the idea of planes didn't really even exist at that point. It was just like, these are cards, these are sets, these are places. And then there was a little retconning to make the whole place like a plane, I suppose. But, an in-game universe. Yeah, but anthology, or antiquities for that matter, should be, I would imagine, pretty significant in the plot system. Yeah. Because if you look at, like, and I mean, well, if, if and when we talk about the others, Antic- or Arabian Nights was very about, like, this completely distant place that is sort of relevant to real-world literary, you know, like, in- Arabian Nights. So that kind of exists on the outside and they did their best to force it into the plot and legends was kind of like characters that they were forcing into it to have more characters and thus the dark was also like top down like it was a very like here's a unique setting so antiquities is of those sets the only one that actually deals with like the brothers war which is dominaria which deals with like abu so this is an actual extension of the plot that they tried to set up and did i mean eventually but and, tried and, to. and continue to come back to it later right so. this one actually expanded on the plot at large versus like legends was a place to expand to add more characters the dark was to add a new setting with more characters and so was arabian nights but antiquities was the first set within those four sets that was kind of like you know building on the mythology that they had set out to create with Urza and Mishra and like the war over the power stones and things like that. Isn't that the new set that's coming out? Like the newest set? Yeah, there is another Brothers War or something like that? Yeah, they're coming back to Dominaria. I forget what year, but years ago they did have that Dominaria set where they were really trying to, you know, because things started to get a little convoluted when they wanted to add like the weather light. And then with that whole weather light, and that was so popular that they wanted that to kind of collide with like Urza in Invasion, and then that led to Apocalypse. And there's, you know, then we start really getting into the weeds there. And hopefully, you know, we get our way to Invasion, we can talk about oh, that. Man, you want to go that deep? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but I'll the, see you in 2026. <laughs> and I wish I was that. I wish I was that informed. A lot of this does come from friends of mine who actually have read all these novels, or like, you know, like. That they're very like, oh, well, <laughs> they get so excited. But I'm like, so what's the point? Where are we at here? And they're like, gather around the fire. You know, like the the, the books are apparently, you know, at, at originally were really fascinating. I remember reading some of them when I was younger. But so I have some of that information here flavor wise, but we'll get too deep into that. Um, but Antiquities, at least, is the most, let's say, canon of all of them, whereas the others were kind of trying to expand the canon. Antiquities was like the first set we had. And granted, it's only the second expansion, but it's the first set we have that's like, who are the main characters of this story? What is their war about? What is like, you know, the, what's the story? And that was the attempt with the set to be more direct rather than like expansive. So a couple of random factoids that I found here doing my very brief research. Um, So the set, pretty small, 100 cards. Uh, 41 commons, 59 uncommons is the breakdown I see. So they still weren't dividing things into rares, I guess. It would have been, what, uncommon one and two? So they were they were doing eight-card packs. You yeah. would get 
six cards from the common sheet and two cards from the uncommon sheet. And I believe there are in antiquities uncommon twos, threes, and maybe even uncommon fours. Okay. And to to your point, though, so the, would the twos be like the rares? The twos would be yeah, yes. the back of rares. Okay. And to the hundred unique cards, though, um, there weren't hundred unique cards at least. That's why they created the oh. alternate arts. Right. So that there were a hundred different cards, but a hundred different, including cards with different art. Right. So strip mine had four arts. Mm -hmm. Mistress had four arts. The Urza's Lands each had four arts. Wow. So how many unique cards? I, I I didn't take that down. For, I I just had the um because. So Antiquities was like, they saw how popular, like with Arabian Nights was doing and that people were collecting the cards. So they really wanted to make this nod to collectors and have this collectible uh, aspect to the game. So they started creating like Strip Mine and, and um, the Urza's like, the Urzatron lands. They wanted to have collectible capacity. So there was, so um, I believe to bring it unique. to a hundred unique 85 cards. unique. So yeah, I think it was the, the five, the five cards each had four different artworks. Yeah. It's 20 cards. Yeah. And what was the other note on that? Oh, but, uh, and I don't know if you guys, I took this on as well, not to get ahead of it, but so like you were saying, eight cards um, in a pack, six common, two uncommons. The booster boxes only had 16 or 60 packs, six zero, um, but they were not actually entirely randomized. And there were, they sort of planned them out, but then that became an issue to players where they had to buy more than one box to complete the 100 card set. And so Wizards created the Antiquities buyback program yeah. where players could send 100 cards back to receive cash back. Because they were like, this is ridiculous. Like I bought you know, a box and I still don't have the full set. So they were like, okay, fair enough. And they would like redeem, they could redeem cards back for cash because the packs weren't entirely random. They were like planned to stagger like packs so that you would have to continue to buy them to fill your set. Imagine something like that happening now. <laughs> right? It's like your your foil print taco buyback program. <laughs> well, it's like that's such that's so quaint that they that players were complaining that they couldn't or collectors were complaining that they couldn't get a complete set like that's no guarantee now. No, no you got to buy not. like I don't even know what the statistically, you know, when you're like 95% to have a whole set, it's probably a case, yeah. yeah. I want to say like when Urza Saga was out and they banned cards from Standard, you could send those banned rares in for I think packs. Yeah, think that was because they banned so many and it became such an endemic issue that it was like send in banned cards and we'll give you packs for them because Standard at the time was so broken. Send us your Tolarian Academies, we'll give you a pack. Of mm -hmm. <laughs> send us your Mind Over Matters. Your... So now they're just sitting on all these rares. Yeah. Now they're the master collectors. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll send you a three dollar pack. <laughs> it's like an academy ditch it. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that today. Listeners. <laughs> Please reach out. I'll give you some standard packs for your Tolarian Academies, no problem. <laughs> send you some Baldur's Gate. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Yeah, uh, that it's it's funny to think too of that that time um, magic, which kind of brings back to middle school a little bit, but like. You know, they, they, there was such an emphasis on pro magic, like it was riding such a wave after Tempest and up into Exodus, and then with like Urza Saga, they were like, let's feed this beast, let's like really give them cards they've never seen before, and let's like really ride this wave of power. And then it was like, what are you doing? Oops, <laughs> like, we gave them a bunch of free spells. <laughs> like, because Urza Saga is supposed to be an enchantment themed block, you know, if you can believe that, but. 
<laughs> yeah. And then somebody thought it'd be a good idea to have like control magic for free and time stuff <laughs> for free and everything oh, no. for free. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so we're talking March 94 here, specifically on the release. I don't have the actual date, but I've got March 94. And the print run looks like about 15-ish million, mm -hmm. which I don't know what current print runs are. Obviously, they're way bigger than that. That sounds right. Um, has anybody here seen a pack of antiquities just floating around here in the recent couple of years? I mean, not, not recently. No. I do... My, my friend, I remember, bought a pack of antiquities from a card shop in Wisconsin. In Illinois, none of the card shops around. They only had, like, the newer stuff. And then, like, Fallen well, Empires and Homelands, because those were, like, printed. So you're talking about... Sort of about like, I don't know, 96, 96. 97, hmm. something like that. Yeah. Like, you go to a card shop, most of them didn't have anything older yeah. than, like, let's say the Dark. The Dark had a pretty decent yeah. print run. So even five, six, seven yeah. years past the dark, you could still find dark packs at card shops. But you would not find Arabian Nights packs yeah. in card shops yeah. in nineteen ninety eight. All that shit immediately sold yeah. out, correct? Mm -hmm. But this one place in Wisconsin, uh, they still had Legends and Antiquities packs. And I remember my friend bought one of each. I believe like I said, this was like 96, 97, and uh, Legends was 25 bucks a pack, and Antiquities was $40 a pack. It's a lot of money. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, just one of each. <laughs> just, to, just to say. And you saw them rip them open? Or you, yeah. 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 Any, any good hits that you would No. no. <laughs> complete, complete trash. As, as, as packs are wont to be. Right, yeah. yeah. There's always that hope when you buy that like pack of Tempest or something. You're like, let's do it, and it's just and, like crap. I mean, and you never want to accuse anyone of anything, but remember, these, these old packs could be searched. Those are yeah, egregiously easy to I search. Think, those, yeah. I think Ice Age was the first set that you couldn't search. And, and yeah, and to bring that to, to that point, because the packs were not entirely randomized. Like the sheets were actually much easy more planned map. out. Yeah, because they wanted. I don't know if they were trying to push people to buy more, and probably emphasize something of that. But it, they were not as randomized as they are now, and there's been a lot more emphasis to. But you that. could actually the, the the light beige packaging. You could push the cards up to the edge of that, and through yeah. using light up to a close yes. light source, and actually see what they were mm -hmm. inside the pack. So you don't know. Yeah. So friendly advice. I I wouldn't touch buying yeah. any of those old packs. No, not loose packs. It's it's funny though because like you can easily search them, but also most of them are filled with garbage. Like mm -hmm. yeah. the packs that your that your friend opened are like average are average packs. Yeah, you don't have to. Search. You don't even have to search. Right? Yeah, <laughs> he's right. like, you know what? You're Never mind. Just sure. Buy it. <laughs> yeah, you're it's, pretty sure there's not going to be anything in there. Like if you want a mistress workshop, don't buy a pack. <laughs> yeah, put the money toward the workshop, or better yet, don't even buy a workshop. It's just just put it towards a charity and yeah. just yeah. proxy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't ever remember seeing antiquities in the stores. Like I was, by the time I was buying packs in '95, I mean, you could find some dark, like you'd mentioned, Tim. You could find maybe Italian legends, but not English legends. Mm -hmm. Antiquities and Arabians, you could only just read about in Inquest or Duelist. Like, there was the stuff didn't even exist. Yeah, it was mythic. You got? Have you opened up that Arabian Nights pack yet? No, it's a or, legends. Uh, legends. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. <laughs> you gotta do it, man. I opened up my pack. I, I won a pack on a stream, on a Twitch stream, and had the streamer open it up on stream. 
And it, there was nothing in it. What? So you're, you're just a slave to that dopamine. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a gambler except when it comes to magic packs. No. I think I think you're a little better in the Arabian Antiquities world. The Legends world, yeah. that is a big set. <laughs> yeah. Very much true. That is a big set. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to crack that guy. We'll see. It, if and when I do, it will be a pay-per-view, <laughs> Patreon-only, exclusive type. <laughs> you should do it on a podcast. There you go. Ticketed event. They'll video, believe it. A video, a special video, but, but you have to, like, pay to download the episode yeah. or something. To see your feet. Yeah. Now you want to get into the foot fetish? <laughs> hey, if you're making the money back, I mean. <laughs> yeah, true. Wait, whatever sells. Whatever puts asses in the seats. Um, Let's get into some cards. Yeah, so <laughs> brief programming notes. So the last time we did the Arabians retrospective, we slavishly went through every single card. I'm a completionist by nature. Hours. I'm going to I'm gonna take that onus. I've, I love that stuff. That so, to me, but I realized I'm... Oh, I enjoyed it, but it went on a long time. I, I yeah. So this time I thought, let's just each pick five cards and we'll shoot them out and maybe we'll just go around, do one pass, do one pass. Sure. But before we do that, how about we do a special shout out to uh, Workshop, Strip Mine, and Factory. So nobody was allowed to pick these just because they're kind of too obvious of a choice. Yeah. So and, and, uh, and Atog and um, Pixies. Or go think pixies. Nobody picked those. I, they could have, but nobody did. Very playable. I was the only thing I want to say about Factory, just that we don't touch base on it, but it is just so ubiquitous, is that it was not ubiquitous back in the day, at least, because its whole use now is different because we play with a different, like, right. almost like a broken rule set, or like split rule set, cool. where in which it can tap to give itself plus one, plus one as a blocker and survive, where in which a tapped creature doesn't deal combat damage. So it would often just die in combat where to try to do some weird trick like that. Um, but think, things change. So you see it a lot more now than you did then. Yeah. It was, right. a, it was a 03 blocker. Yeah. Right. So it's more powerful as an old school, in old school, than yeah. it was in the old school. You, yeah. You wouldn't have seen it then, but it's hard to miss it now. Correct. Um, and then strip mine is like a whole other... I would hope one day maybe we do a strip mine just parliamentary debate where we just shout at each other for a good yeah, you know, hour that car was printed as a counter <laughs> yeah oh yeah because of the kind of like it was printing around it was printed as a counter to library of alexandria and also to give all colors access to land destruction that was another another reason library was wrecking and not all colors had like an individual like land destruction spell, so that's why Spiritbind. Which is funny because made. white had Armageddon, red had Stone Rain, green had Ice Storm, black had Sinkhole, but poor blue, yeah. obviously the gimp of all colors, <laughs> the poor, you know, it bastard child needed blue help. Needed blue needed help. help. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have enough power. Yeah. Um, and then I guess before we name colors too, the one thing I want to say about antiquities I thought was really but everybody probably already knows is that it's so committed to its theme that every spell so like other than like strip mine or i think just strip mine every card that you know printed refers to artifacts yep so they they really went in on this theme like it wasn't just like oh it's like an artifact heavy block it's like every card interacts with artifacts in some way other than strip mine and like the Urza lands. Well, tying in with the lore, right? You said that they were expanding the lore of the MTG universe. You had the Brothers War, brief synopsis, Urza and Mishra, 
They had all these artifacts that they had commissioned, built, unearthed, whatever. They had this big war, and then this art, this set featured a bunch of, you know, uh, artifacts featured in the story of the Brothers' War, right? Or, or you know, spells that they would have used to counteract each other's artifacts. So until we get to multicolored cards, which we'll find in like legends, artifacts are your multicolored cards, yeah. right? Like they're the cards that can exist, and they can bridge gaps between colors or allow certain colors to do things they don't ordinarily do. So artifacts, I think, were a really important artifact, or the artifacts were a really important permanent type to really expand upon because they're available to all colors. Um, and so I think that, that, that made this that, you know, significant of a set to have so early on in, in Magic's development. Anybody want to say anything about the beloved Atog? Pour one out for a little... I don't know, uh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> May he rest in piss. Yeah. <laughs> He certainly, um, you know, has been enjoying his time in the sun. He, he wasn't a card I, that I saw, like, in the old school days. Yeah. Like, I see him now, but didn't really see him back then. I think another guy that was kind of a little bolstered by factory or just, like, access to power, let's say. Like, friends the, of mine didn't have power. This is, this is also true. Yeah, like... You never really ran into like this table full of artifacts or things that could become an artifact like for a, the go in turn. So our Atog was never really like he was a cool art. I think we always were like, look at that weirdo, like he eats artifacts, you know, but Yeah, I mean as a kid the play pattern of sack my board to go all in was not a play pattern that I had. Mm -hmm. It was just like I need to build board to cast bigger and bigger monsters. Yeah. So rather than I had to save my creatures to feed Lord of the Pit. Like, exactly. I, <laughs> like I couldn't be feeding Atog. I needed small dudes so my stone giant confirmed them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why, yeah, let's go around the uh, go around the horn. Uh, Nick, lead off with your... Uh, for, this is not a draft. We have picked five, <laughs> yeah. pre-selected pre five. And then I got a hot one. I got a special one after five. But that one's that one's a nod to Edders, though. So excellent. We can save that, you know, best for last. Um, so my favorite, or the one I want to lead with at least, is uh, Drafna's Restoration. But only because we probably won't see it much in old school. I don't think you'd really ever see it there. But it did kind of see some play in like um, Legacy for like the Cheerios list. If you guys are familiar with that, because Drafna's Restoration is. It's one blue. You can put any number of artifacts from your graveyard on top of your library in any order, hmm. which is not great. Like it sets you back a significant amount of turns. Like what are you going to do? But in is Cheerios, it hmm? is it an instant or sorcery? Oh, I believe it's a sorcery actually. So not uh, that good. It's not great. No, no, no. It's not great. But what it did was at least like so in Cheerios you have um, Chalice of the Void set to zero, and then you have. Um, Maltani's Presence, which is like a green, and whatever spell you control is countered, draw a card. So you set your chalice to zero, you run a bunch of zero cost artifacts, you cast them into your chalice at zero, it gets countered, you draw a card, you just keep drawing, and then if you get your restoration, cast that, put everything back on top, just keep going. So it kept that engine going. So it's like an interesting card, at least I wanted to bring attention to, because like often, I feel like you have to pay for all of your targets or you have to like, like this is a, th it was an interesting card because it's basically just any number you want. Yeah. Which is like an interesting mechanic. Without paying X. Yeah, it was just pay a blue, choose a number, put it on top. Yeah. It did set you back a certain amount of turns, but 
the recovery to it whereas you know like certain cards may make you like pay one for one or like account for what you're doing this one kind of like opened up a very vague amount which kind of allowed your deck to approach that more uniquely and there was a lot less graveyard interaction at that time yeah so bringing bringing all this that back was you know not quite unique but still kind of needed yeah all in one card at least in one package like that all right tim what do you got i got felon's cane classic uh, i believe if i'm not mistaken this card was so powerful that it was restricted at one point yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. uh this this was a card that i just remember everyone would play one it was just like the just in case card <laughs> Man, when, when we're like 30 turns into the game, I need to shuffle my graveyard back into my library. Yeah, also, like as a kid, you know, I, I might not own four bolts or swords. I may own th- two or three of each, right? So I need a, a way to put them back in the deck so I can play them out mm-hmm. again later in the game. Is that what you used to do? Oh, you mean as a kid, my decks would be lots of weird twos and threes. Gotcha. You know, and so yeah, you, we had Kane in there, absolutely. And games could feasibly take that long. Like as a kid, when your card's in that the high impact to that much value, the games could be long enough that you're like, I need to like get my, my, my silver bullets back. Like I already played the power and it's already been, you know, terrored or whatever. I need it back. So And it just takes one game of your opponent using a Felden's cane and you not. And then you deck yourself and it's like, <laughs> I need this technology. <laughs> That's how you beat Danny, right? It's a Felton's game. Yeah, that's a Danny win <laughs> Speaking of 40-minute game one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll go next. So I have the Humble Crumble as my first pick. One green instant. I like to think of it, I'm quoting Carter here, but I like to think of it as the Swords to Plowshares of Artifacts. So it's destroy an artifact. That artifact's controller uh, may not regenerate. Artifact creatures may not regenerate, so they're buried. If you target an artifact creature, artifacts contro- artifacts controller gains life equal to its CMC. So I would usually use this in a lot of my bug lists, specifically a bug reanimator to go after a um, crypt. Um, you might use it in rug as a cheaper way to go after your uh, bottles as opposed to shatter. And to hit a factory it's so satisfying it's it's land destruction against factory it blows up a mox leaving nothing right Um, again going back to my reanimator list you could use it I could use it on let's say I have an all hallows eve trigger on the stack and I'm running low on life it's a grindy game I can crumble my own trike gain six pop the all hallows eve get the trike back you know there's some shenanigans you can do with that um Really good card, good sideboard card. It's probably underused by green lists or lists that splash green. Uh, I was just kind of contemplating when I was thinking about my list, thinking about like, God, there could be like a, a Bant list or a Rug list where, well, I guess it would be Rug, but some kind of a list where you've, you're mixing maybe out of the board disenchants with crumbles and you're just like against the right opponent, you're blowing up everything they throw at you <laughs> with swords, crumbles, and disenchants. Obviously, Gaining a lot of life, but think about it against a bots player. You're yeah, sure. blowing up everything they have. Sarah Angel doesn't care too much about life game. Like Sarah Angel True. will get you there. Yeah, mm-hmm. a couple extra turns. Yeah. And just like swords, you get yourself some life in exactly. a pinch. In a pinch, yeah. And that, and that was the first efficient artifact removal that Green got. Yeah. Before that, red and white were, yeah, the ones blowing up artifacts. 
Uh, so the humble crumble, my first pick. On you, Lauren. All right, my first pick is a card that's very similar to a commonly played middle school card. It is Transmute Artifact. Oh yeah. So the the original text on this: Search through your library for one artifact and immediately place it into play. Then choose any artifact in play that you control and place it in its owner's graveyard. If the new artifact has a casting cost greater than that of the discarded one, you must pay the difference or transmute artifact fails and both artifacts are discarded. Shuffle your library after playing this card. So it's a proto uh, tinker, but they actually added all this extra text to make it a pretty fair card. I mean, transmute is a very powerful effect to just tutor whatever you want and put it into play. But obviously they realized at the time you could, you know, sacrifice a Moxon and get a Triskelion or something like that. So, mm-hmm. hey, let's make them pay the difference. And then Tinker said, well, we'll just make them pay one more mana, and that's that will be good enough. Well, they don't have the two pips, right? I mean, uh, They don't tra- have the two pips, that's tra- true. Transmute yeah. being a double blue. This is a dumb question, but I just realized I haven't seen this interaction. If you transmute a Suchi, do you get the mana after resolution, or do you get it upon sacrificing? I think it's after, so I don't think you could use the sushi man. You wouldn't be able to? Okay. No, I don't think so. I realize I haven't seen it, but I didn't know if that was like, you'd get the mana, or if it would have to like die, then resolve, then like four colorless would appear. No, because the sack of the sushi is still happening within the resolution All right. of the transmute, and that then the dude hits the bin after the resolution, and then you get the four. Yeah. Then you put it in your tome and draw a card. Ugh. Okay, so the card sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Completely <laughs> useless. Yeah. Trash, bulk rare, in bulk day, uncommon. In present day old school environment, I, I like to use transmute usually to go find chaos orb in some kind of a turbo. Sure, or yeah. Pair with guardian beast, and you're just it gives you more ways to tutor up your orb. Yeah, right. Or some other toolbox type deck where you're going to get a, a timely mirror universe or whatever. So Nick, it, it does say specifically, if you don't pay the difference, put it directly into the graveyard. So, so like it's it not like it comes play. into play and you sacrifice it, it just goes straight to the graveyard. So it's like, yeah, so you select it and it's like viable as like an option to enter play, but if you can't pay the difference, it doesn't even enter play. Right. So no, I mean, there's not a lot of like, Real you wouldn't yeah, be able to yeah. trigger like Triskelion or something like real quick or anything. Pick two. Oh yeah, sure. So pick two, Artifact Blast is a. I'm a huge fan of this card. Mm-hmm. I don't play it enough. As I played it more early on, and I think if I was trying to experiment with more, um, just cards in old school as a pool, I was wanting to build more stuff. But when I was playing Big Red early on, which is something I'll mention, the next card that I have. But I love that card. If only for when you're on the play and you have like your open red source, and they like try to Lotus turn one. And you can just literally counter a lotus for a red. That's hilarious. Like the rea- like because red artifact blast at least is just it's one red counter target artifact spell. And I I wish that more spells had access to counters in this way. I know I've like gone over this a lot. Conditional personally. counters. You mean? Yeah, like because counter spells to me they just prevent a card from even happening. A lot of colors other than blue have to allow the thing to exist and then respond to it which is annoying in a lot of not even niche circumstances where in which artifact blast simply says just like that didn't even happen so they don't get a chance to pop off the lotus if you were like play the lotus okay crumble it and then they could you know sacrifice it artifact blast simply says this did not happen pass and you know that that changes their game plan like dramatically 
Um, I'd like to see more stuff like that, but it is so conditional that you would probably never see like a main deck artifact blast, but it stops Moxin, it stops Lotus from ever doing what they do. And it also stops, you know, later trikes or like problematic artifacts. I think it's pretty solid like in pink aggro where you've got, you know, Savannah Lions, Preacher, all of these one toughness mm -hmm. creatures. And like, you, like by the time that the Triskelion is in play, your board is going to get wiped. Yeah, so if you, you want to disenchant it. So Artifact Blast seems like a reasonable, you know, two of in the sideboard just mm -hmm. for that one card, mm -hmm. just to prevent it from ever coming down. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I, I had success with it before. I just, I've been running other cards other than it, but it, it's always like a, a real favorite of mine personally. It's going to test your patience, just sitting there mm -hmm. in your hand. Right. Waiting cause for the right blowout. Get, like opening hand, it's beautiful, especially on the play, yeah. and you just play your plateau and pass. Yeah. But drawn late in the game kind of a dud kind of a <laughs> the turn 11 artifact yeah glass kind of a force <laughs> kind of a force spike in that that's point. where i draw it yeah, yeah that's when i exclusively draw it that's why you gotta play four so you yeah. didn't want to exactly turns. play five then see what happens on turn seven and ten <laughs> tim what do you got all right i got millstone mm. another danny <laughs> classic <laughs> now uh Alternative win cons. Yeah. You know, by the time Antiquities came out, there there's just there wasn't a lot of them. You, you played creatures, maybe you played some burn spells. Yeah. But this is kind of the first I, I think I would say the first major alternative win con. And it feels like removal to an extent. Like it's not, mm -hmm. but the fact that you're like you mill someone and they lose some kind of like relevant card. And, and it's, suddenly it's like I needed that, you know, like you didn't choose it, but it's gone. Especially you know? as a kid. At, mm -hmm. at some point you realize that the top of your deck is the same card as the middle of your deck. Like it's all just kind of random, but mm -hmm. but yeah, when you mill something really good, like that man, that feels really good. Like you have it like you have sort of a standstill of better creatures, but you mill their removal and suddenly you're just like you're you have the upper hand kinda. And we had at least my my play group, we we were really against uh, like getting mana screwed. We, we didn't like that fact. So the majority of us would actually stack our decks with mana. Which means... We... All, all, yeah, we would mana weave. Everyone played a 60-card right, deck. Please. Yeah. <laughs> everyone played a 60-card deck and everyone played 20 lands. That was just the rule. Like, you would, there was no other way to build your deck. It would be two cards and then a land. You would shuffle your 40 cards, but it would be two cards and a land, two cards and a land, two cards and a land. Yeah. Well, how does Millstone line up against that? It starts hitting every land. Yeah. No. Yeah, well, they, they, only, they only draw yeah. lands. Yeah. Yeah. Or every other, yeah. yeah. So Millstone is good anti-mana-weaving technique. It you is. heard it here first. Yeah. Keep players honest. Something to keep in mind. Yeah. As a kid, Millstone was like, that next that angle of attack that I didn't understand. It's like again, I want Stone Giant to be throwing nudes at my opponent. I thought mm -hmm. that was advanced technology, and then to be losing by just having cards, your resources drained away was like, you know, mind blowing. Someone playing, you know, Wrath of God every other turn, hitting you with the millstone. That was chess versus my checkers. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, shall I go next here? Yep, uh, so I have the humble clay statue as my second pick now i, I everything's humble well this can't be crumbled as easily <laughs> correct he's not as humble as the crumble but i he's humble compared to say suchi tribe tetravis you're kind of like and you know you're your main marquee level dudes from this set 
but the clay statue is great. I love to, you know, he's a, he's a three one for four, but for two colorless, he can regenerate. So you would talk, Nick, about, you know, artifact is kind of like your very early proto nascent magic um, colorless spells, right? So anything can regenerate this guy, you know, anything can cast him, anything can regenerate him. Um, he's really good even in like, if you're, if you're playing like say Urzatron, where you just have a ton of mana at your disposal, and you can roll out some of these guys and your clay statues will just chew up weenie decks. So I've used them in mono brown, um, old school mono brown mud. Um, but yeah, he's very mana hungry being an effective six drop for a three one. And prior to this, I believe you had to have black or green mana to regenerate. So it did open up the other colors. Correct, yeah. Black yeah. would have been like your Dredge Skeletons example. And white's going to have to prevent damage, but white yeah. had death red's not going to regenerate. Oh, that's true, death Well, wolf. green had the regenerate spell. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah. In terms of regeneration, it's just like in tertiary, like black yeah. and green, but you didn't see it like yeah. red and white. They Red or white might, what, what was it? Like wards or whatever, protection from colors or like prevent damage, but it wasn't going to like save anybody from death per se. So, you know, Clay Statue, he's not going to be my first dude sweat from this set I'm going to pick again. I'm going to go for the Tetravis, the Cheese, and the Trikes. But, you know, in the right setting, you know, again, Mono Brown or some kind of big artifact, big mana list, he's worth checking out. All right. So my next pick is Titania Song. Mm. Really picking some obscure cards here. <laughs> Three Carlos and a green. All non-creature artifacts in play lose all their usual abilities and become artifact creatures with toughness and power both equal to their casting costs. If Titania Song leaves play, artifacts return to normal just before the untap phase of the next turn. So basically it turns all your little shitter howling mines and fell war stones and icy manipulators into a little army. And uh, I really like this card because it's a, um, a style of card that is still, like, new cards are still being made like this. Mm -hmm. A couple really, Karn, Karn yeah, Karn. March of a, the Machines. March of the Machines. Um, Opalescence, kind of a different take that's on, it's basically a Titania song for enchantments. Though in this case, the song makes them lose all their abilities and Opalescence doesn't. That's true. Which is, there's a certain relevance to that because at least you turn off all your minds and they just become two two dudes um and then of course a very cool one which kind of creates like that weird entry barrier for mono green players that it kills all moxen <laughs> like it, it destroys them all in some kind of weird like if you can't afford them kill them i guess <laughs> or you go the control route it turns your you know you're locking down icies early on mm -hmm. and now they're four four beaters your basalt monoliths suddenly untap, or your mana vaults untap and become little dudes. Yeah. Relic barrier, mm -hmm. very strong in that. Deck. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I wonder. I mean, it does. It does kind of have a nice story element to it, which is like, okay, all of these artifacts that had some unique ability, now they're just these artifact creatures that can't do anything but attack a block. But I wonder if part of it was like they didn't. They kind of didn't know what would happen. If all of these different artifacts suddenly were creatures and had the same abilities, it would be too much to track. It would be too much to track. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe when we get to Legends, maybe, but I know that at least Voodoo Doll is always such an interesting card to me, especially with like Relic Barrier to keep it tapped down. And But then, like, when you play Titania Song, suddenly you have like this big, like, 6 6, you know, that you don't have to like worry about it hurting you anymore. Um, but. 
It's very so, cool card. Yeah, very interesting. Cool. We'll get there. But Titania's song is yeah the the amount of effect that it has is like it can really flip a game upside down yeah. for sure. Very very easy to build a deck around that card. Mm-hmm. And now your pyramids do something. <laughs> now your pyramid actually does something. Finally, it's a six, six, six. So are we are we saying right now buy out pyramids? That's <laughs> that's what you heard it here first. Yeah. Um. So my pick, uh, my number uh, three here. Uh, Orcish Mechanics, and this card is so close to my heart. It was like one of my first builds when I was playing old school. And it's because I would love those Mana Vaults and Basalt Monoliths and do big red and ramp out huge fireballs, ramp out the Suchis and all the like big mana stuff. But then when your stuff is untapped and you don't want to untap it, or you just have these artifacts laying around, like you have a fully spent Suchi that's just a one, or fully spent Triskelion that's just a one one or something. Or even if you do want to throw a Suchi and get four colorless out of it, they just toss artifacts to do two damage to any target. So that's pretty cool to, you know, get rid of offending um, factories or little dudes, like little creatures on the board, but also to just help close the gap from all the damage you're flinging from fireballs and, st- and bolts and stuff. Orcish mechanics are just really cool at like, you know, closing the gap. And I, I, I just really, I really like those guys. But it's, a, it's tap. You stack stack one artifact, deal two damage. That's kind of the, mm. the, the downside. There is a downside, and it is a three mana one one. I think they're yeah. worried about that being like too powerful. So it's definitely not like something that you're going to rush out and force into your deck. But something I really like about this guy is like it, in grindy games, it does help you just like weaponize your like crap laying out. You know, like I don't need these mocks anymore. I could stand to do a little more damage. So they do kind of like help you like edge out like. In the long game, yeah, people that don't want to be a that want to be a hipster and, and get away from Atog can search for the, the <laughs> right. orcish mechanic. Right. Well, I mean, because orcish mechanic almost feels like, what are you gonna like? You really gonna swords my orcish mechanic? <laughs> you know, and you're you're gonna have to. But like Atog is one of those like I'll I'll save my removal till the turn it matters. But meanwhile, it's just like yeah. you're just poking out those two damages as opposed to like yeah. trying to do one big turn. Yeah. So it it I don't know. I think it forced them to make a decision earlier. Who did that art? Is that a Fraser? That's a good question. Let's see here. But meanwhile. Yeah, Tim, you wanna Alright. My next card? Ornithopter. I like the deck building part of this card. This was you know, this is when I started, you know, spending a lot of time making your deck and realizing every card you add is a cost. It it could be a different card. And just because you have a card that costs zero mana doesn't really mean that it's worth being in your deck so it it is a card that i just remember a lot of people just randomly playing but it was like a very feel bad you know turn seven you're drawing like wow this card's bad but on the alternative i I also do remember like you know dark ritual ornithopter triple unholy strength like what do you got (laughs) (laughs) like like it, it it has some uses but yeah, I just it, it got a lot of play in my play group. Free cards are nice. Yeah. Free free, free creatures. You know, would you use that over a Will O Wisp? Will O Wisp was what a one drop for zero one. Yeah. But it could regenerate. Mm-hmm. I mean Ornithopter is an interesting trigger for like juxtapose, you know? Mm. You just swap that out with their best artifact or creature, I guess, at that point. And it's good with orcish mechanics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> who was who was drawn by Pete Venters? I would add. <laughs> there we go. 
Um, anything else to say about the mighty ornithopter? I mean, I remember as a wee man thinking that the, the calling it pornithopter was really funny, but that's all I really have to add. <laughs> Still works. Still works. Still plays. <laughs> all right. I'm sure they didn't really think about it at the time, but you know, ornithopters still and zero cost creatures like that still see play mm-hmm. because just being able to repeatedly play something for free, you know, if you can yeah. pick it up somehow, it's it's an enduring. It's definitely where you'll see it is in some sort of combo deck that relies on it being zero mana. Yeah, when you see it, it's not. It's it's only worrisome when you're like, why are you doing this? Like, <laughs> why are you playing the zero drop? <laughs> uh, okay, so my third pick is a blue, uh, one blue sorcery reconstruction. Bring one artifact from your graveyard to your hand. It's basically a regrowth for artifacts. Um, pretty cool card. I've used this as a sideboard card, kind of just a funny pick. Um, I in my like blue shops deck, you know, go get a track back, go get an orb back, whatever. Lotus, it nets you two mana with a lotus, or mana fixes with a lotus. Um, I've got a little. I, I remember the first pack of revised I ever opened had a reprinted version of this. So it was a starter deck of revised. First one I ever opened, sealed deck uh, had a reconstruction in it. So it's the art is kind of vividly <clears throat> seared in my memory from the first cards I ever opened. It's the Anson Maddox build. Pretty cool art. And without. The symbol. Uh, correct. So yeah, the original Antiquities version, Black Border version, uh, was the only card in the set that was printed without the Anvil symbol. Um, That's why you can buy beta reconstructions on eBay. <laughs> for the discerning <laughs> nitwit that doesn't know what they're doing. Um, so yeah, not the greatest card, but one that's kind of goes back to my really early Magic days, so... I'm surprised it's not seen somewhere in some kind of old school combo see, deck. Like when I when I build Restoration, you pick any number of artifacts put on top of your deck. Whereas yeah. Restoration goes right to your hand, and that should de- like you can pick like any number between one and infinity, and that would still go on top of your deck. But the difference of going straight to your hand yeah. and not losing a turn on it is like all the difference right there. Yeah. <laughs> It definitely seems like in a, a deep dive, like blue artifact deck. Like yeah. it gets, especially like with transmute, like we were talking about earlier. Like yeah. you can go find your one, like your one good artifact versus your opponent, and now you can just bring it back. And like I said, chaos orb, just great yeah. with that. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. My next pick is Sage of Latnan. Uh, colorless blue for a one-two. The full text of the original card is: tap to draw a card from your library. Each time you use this ability, you must choose one of your artifacts in play and place it in the graveyard. This artifact cannot be one that is already on its way to the graveyard, and artifact creatures killed this way may not be regenerated. So the modern text for this is very simple. Tap it, sack an artifact, draw a card. Um, So what I like about this is that there are not many utility creatures like... What was your pick? Less orcish artillery. Uh, um, orcish mechanics. Mechanics, mechanics. Yeah. So just like uh, tap a creature, get an effect that's like reasonable and worthwhile. So this is one of the first cards, you know, besides Jam Day Tome that allows you to draw a card. The drawback is you have to sacrifice an artifact, but it's the same kind of story, you know, when you don't need particular mocks in, or you can even sacrifice a Mistress Factor if you need to. You can even attack, and if they try to bolt it, you can sacrifice the mm-hmm. the factory. So it's a powerful creature that probably isn't going to win the game by attacking, but that your opponent probably has to get rid of just because it's going to draw you out of, you know, the problem that you're in. Um, 
a personally very big favorite of mine because before I was playing old school and I just I even loved this in EDH and then started playing it uh, in old school a little bit but Thanos' Coffin and this card is so so cool because it's colorless removal which is really not that great in terms of you can still like once you have the the budget or the cards you can get all the duels you want you can get the removal that's like more premium but colorless removal is still pretty cool and in particular Thanos' Coffin is obviously much more of a combo piece um, it's four colorless you pay three and tap it, um, or it's more, uh, you may choose not to untap it during your untap step. You pay three and tap it to, I don't have the original text pulled up, but essentially you phase out a creature as long as Taunus' coffin remains tapped. And the reason that's different is they keep their counters, they keep their enchantments, they're outside of the game. Um, but why it's not phased out and why that isn't the current text for some reason is that it does come back into play uh, with its, its exile that's what i'm saying it's like it it's essentially phased out because it keeps its counters and enchantments but it's not phased out because it returns to play with that mm -hmm. so what that means is it's tetravis keeps its counters it's triskelion keeps its counters mm -hmm. it's clockwork avian or beast keeps its counters and any enchantments or whatever so whereas like you know phasing might just it would leave play and then come back with everything or if you exile something it does lose everything and come back this was some kind of weird middle ground where it kept track of everything it left with and returns with it so you don't necessarily even have to like throw off any counters or like do it at some weird you know you can always just keep resetting your tetravis to get more flyers you can reset your avian or your beast or anything like that um or you know worst case scenario just exile a creature that you cannot deal with currently so i, I think that coffin is, a, is a, it's a really interesting card that we don't see a lot of like it because it is kind of like a mess of a design but very cool art cool. too it's oh, almost got yeah. like a, a, a sci-fi like stasis chamber mm -hmm. like if you were going on like a, a you know a, a generational ship to travel to another star mm -hmm. very cool evocative chris rush art there and i like it more as saving your creatures as its primary use yeah like under like a wrath or something like mm -hmm. that absolutely so I have the very powerful Mishra's War Machine. <laughs> so I don't even know what that does. <laughs> so you don't know banding then. For, for the low, low cost of seven mana, <laughs> you get yourself a five-five banding. Mm. Now you do have to discard a card during your upkeep. Take that, Mastercore. <laughs> yeah. What do you know about it? Five-five, <laughs> oh, eat it. No. <laughs> I picked this card. It it got reprinted in fourth edition, <laughs> and it is my favorite art from Antiquities. Amy Ooh. Weber, Domination, a big, a big old carriage. <laughs> yeah, I I just I love. It. I think I think Amy Weber just overall has some of the best artwork in Antiquities, and this is my favorite artwork from her. So not really a card I picked out of a card. I'm actually going to cast in a deck but i just i love i love the artwork but but speaking of mastercore though i think it is it does lay the groundwork for like something that's like 
Okay, seven mana for a five five is pretty good for any color to have access to. It's not pretty good. I don't want to go on record saying that, but it's pretty good for like, look, any color can do this, right? So then they had to have some weird downside of like, make it that you have to like discard to keep it in play. And then it's just like, fine. But still, I think it did create a certain gauge of like, obviously resources are important. And I think they started to recognize that, you know, with that mm -hmm. card, like something that you, you know, with like, you have to feed Lord of the Pit or you have to like pay mana to keep cosmic horror in play. Like certain things took certain costs in this. I can't think of another card that forced you to like have to discard to keep it in play. And the power level wasn't quite there to make it worth it, but this was still working with a new resource to like keep sustainable. I like yeah. that it says bands instead of banding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just bands, maybe. Um, shall I go next? Yeah. Sure. All right. I have <clears throat> here a 1 1 black creature for 1 and 2 black. Zenic Poltergeist. Summon Poltergeist. It's a Dan Frazier art. Now, I like that the art. The, the poltergeist is not in the art on the card. It's like two wizards ducking behind a counter as shit is flying around in their lab or whatever. Um, very cool card. Tap to turn target non-creature artifact into an artifact creature with both top power and toughness equal to its CMC. So like a one-shot of your Titania song, uh, Lorraine, that you picked. This transformation lasts until your next upkeep. <clears throat> target retains all its original abilities as well. So here's where I would like to use this guy. Pair him with a uh, Jandor's Saddlebag and a Time Vault and build your own three-card infinite Time Vault combo. <laughs> the Time Vault in play enters play tapped. Activate the Poltergeist, turn the uh, Time Vault into a 2-2 tapped creature, activate the Saddlebag to untap target creature. Just like Garfield drew it up. <laughs> Just as intended. Yep. I mean, like, with Tatani Song too, is a really cool like Mox Killer. Exactly. Like you know, very just like no, 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 no. Like an interesting character. Um, it would also nerf a factory, right? The factory of mm -hmm. uh, worker uh, activate a factory turns into a two-two, but it's still CMC zero. Uh, Poltergeist, it's a zero a two-two artifact creature. Poltergeist would kill. It doesn't but, say non-creature. It's a non-creature artifact. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> I, I clearly read for. Uh, I like where your head's at, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it would kill, uh, well, it wouldn't even kill your Ornithopter. No. But it would kill a Fountain of Youth. Which it would stop the Ornithopter that. from dealing damage, though. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it could block an Ornithopter. It could <laughs> <laughs> put it on a flying card. <laughs> All right. That's it. Uh, next card for me is Tetravis. So uh, I won't read all the text this time. I think people are pretty familiar with Tetravis. Six for a 1-1 one, one against three counters. You can take them off to make little Tetravites. Uh, the thing that I like about this card is actually um, when I was trying to find win conditions in middle school for an artifact deck I was building, I realized, based on the current gather tech text of Tetravis, that you can stack it really interestingly with um, Tanglewire. So both of the triggers always happen with Tetravis. The, take counters off, put counters on. It doesn't matter whether counters are off or not, they just always trigger. So you can take the counters off, tap the Tetravites with Tangle Wire, and then put them back on the Tetravis as a 4-4 and attack with it. Because it's got it's got two separate triggers. Oh, sure, they're both you can stack triggers. Them. Yeah, okay. they're, up, they're, they're upkeep triggers. So kind of a goofy card design. I mean, it's like, it's pretty complex, I think, for the early days of Magic and kind of like 
a sign of things to come in terms of like doing things on your upkeep, yeah. taking off things to have different effects, being able to put them back on. Uh, you could take if you had two Tetravis in play, right? You could take Tetravites from the from Tetravis A and put them on Tetravis B, right, and get a seven seven. I think that works. I'd have to look at the actual gather it, text to see. It's based on description. They don't have to go to their owner, right? Like it's like put any number of Tetravites. The home Tetravis. Yeah, I'll check real quick. I think if that's if that's how it reads, then yeah, you can definitely do that. I mean, why you would do that? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Obviously, it would combo well. I mean, because with with priest of. Or Zenith Poltergeist. <laughs> well, I was thinking of uh, Thomas Coffin. True. Well, very true. Well, and that's is back with three more t- tokens on it. That so is now, true. Now you have a seven seven. You could also get through a um, Sarah Angel, which Tetravis doesn't. True. Can't get past the Sarah Angel. Uh, but it can on its own with a four four. It'll no, just it's, collide with it really hard. It's tokens created with Tetravis, so with that. Tetris. With that, with this particular okay. instance of the Tetris. So you could not put Tetravites from Tetravis A onto Tetravis B. You so, cannot build your own Tetravis. So as tokens, even though the OG tokens don't exist, they would read like, that. They, I mean, I don't know, they, they somehow belong to an assigned Tetravis. Yes. Tokens created by, by this Tetravis. Yeah, the, so it has one. three that are related to the, wow, that's weird. How about that? That's kind of on flavor, though, right? It's oh, it's very on flavor. Yeah, the, entered the battlefield and it can break up. Uh, right. I, I wish I could remember. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's this whole like Twitter for like magic card interactions that break flavor really hard, and then it's somebody like illustrates it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I've seen some. Okay, yeah, it's just like how it's like because you know you put like boots on like Emrakul or something like that, and then it's just like where do they go? What does it look like? Or you know like oh you could block it with this, and it would actually like or it was like Parhelion, like that thing that creates like angel tokens, but then there's this one like rambunctious mutt, like this dog that when it comes into play destroys target artifact. So it just destroys this entire like cloud ship, like just like, sorry, it's an artifact. Um, anyway. Uh, so my last pick, um, other than the card that I wanted to highlight for Edders, uh, Priest of Yawgmoth, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Uh, That's a Ray card. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one in the black for a one-two tap. Um, I won't read its original text because it's a real word salad. But all it is is just sacrifice an artifact. It's one of those like you cannot destroy an artifact on its way to the graveyard. You know all that, but tap sacrifice an artifact. Add an amount of black mana to your mana pool equal to that artifact's converted mana cost. So a lot of cool stuff you can do here, especially with like Su Chi or like really double down on the amount of mana output you're getting. Um, but it really helps you ramp up, especially as soon as, soon as like you cast them on turn two or if you get them on turn one, like a Moxon or something. You can get a lot of mana really quick off this guy. And why I think that's interesting is like for two mana for a one two, it's still a lot. Like that's a hell of a boost that I think they were anticipating people would totally abused and he isn't totally abused but i mean look at like triskelion like you know if you shoot the counters off you can totally get six black mana out of it like he really paves the way for some pretty big drain lives so i like priest of yawgmoth a lot cashes in those mana vaults exactly yeah before they hit you or like even the uh what's it uh basalt monolith things that you've kind of written off at that point you're just like give me a little bit more 
sacrifice a sardia to untap another sardia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. Speaking of Jandor's saddlebags, actually. Actually, speaking of Ray, I don't know if he... I, I wouldn't necessarily say he invented it. I don't necessarily attribute that because I've heard other... Once I mentioned this to other people, they said they'd seen it somewhere else. I don't know where this came from. But one of my favorite plays, and I guess speaking of antiquities, but like Colossus of Sardia with a paralyze on it, still makes me laugh so hard flavor-wise. Because you, know? <laughs> you paralyze it, and then you can untap it for four as opposed to nine. And it's just like, I can't move unless you pay a discounted rate. <laughs> <laughs> That's magic for you. All right, so my last, last card, Ashnod's Battle Gear. Oh, yeah. So, OG equipment. Yeah. <laughs> I think this card's pretty cool. It is It is very, very mana-intensive, but in the grindy games, I think it's very, very strong. So if you don't know, it's an artifact. You, I feel like it's play, pay two, tap, and the creature that you choose gets plus two, plus two, as long as that remains tapped. And you can choose not to untap it. So yeah, like you were saying, it's kind of like the original equipment. It's it's you know it's a creature enchantment kind of that you just you get reuse out of. It doesn't die. It doesn't go to the uh, graveyard if that creature is destroyed. Doesn't no. And you can equip it at instant speed. I believe so. Yeah. So that's a bonus that it has on equipment. Pick up the armor off the ground. Yeah. Give it to someone else. Yeah. Man, I thought it was pretty cool. But yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit slow. It's a bit mana intensive. But yeah, I can see you know maybe deep dive throwing it in some deck. You got enough creatures. What's the other kind of equipment card that uh, it's like a sword of something? Sort rune, of rune sword? Yeah, or no, like you, sword of ages or. I well, that was a little different. Sword of ages is. I think it is rune sword. Because rune, sword, rune sword is one where you can like give a bonus, but sword of ages is the one where you like feed creatures into it and then it deals damage you equal to the total sword, power. You sack a creature. Oh, I love sword it of ages. That's a win con right there. Love it. Yeah, you attack with Nyx Colossus of Sardia, then you sack it to the. I don't know if I remember sword the text of Rune Sword. But yeah, hold on, I'm pulling up. Six mana to cast. Yeah, Rune Sword co costs six, so you do remember. So, <laughs> <laughs> but Rune Sword is like it's it's got that very like antiquated text, and this is from the dark. But it costs three tap. Target attacking creature gets plus two plus O. Oh. Any creature damaged by it can't regenerate. If they die, they get exiled. But if the creature leaves play before the end of the turn, you bury Rune Sword. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those. Or actually, there was a card from Arabian Nights that did that, right? Flying that, Carpet. Yeah, something. Was, of that's it. Oh, yeah, where it's like Carpet was errated to have the destroyed. Okay. If the creature is destroyed, because um, it was too powerful otherwise. Well, ri <laughs> yeah, originally it read that it was if just the sweeping destroyed, <laughs> tournament. That's errated away. Okay. Okay, so. My last card is Detonate, a card I really enjoy from this set. It's one red and X, sorcery, targets any artifact. X is the casting cost of target artifact. Target artifact is destroyed, and Detonate deals X points of damage to artifact's controller. Artifact creature is destroyed in this manner, may not be regenerated. My poor little humble clay statue. <laughs> um, uh, red one. Oh, no, red and four. It would yeah. have to be still. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, he's... It's great. It's removal and direct damage. Um, sorcery speed's a little bit of a bummer, but it's still pretty sick. Pretty rad card. You know, you can blow up someone's mox or blotus or whatever for a red. 
Um, I mean, the, the dream obviously is in EC rules blowing up a Suchi on their absolutely, turn. Absolutely, they don't, they don't have any. You've done that before, yes, right? Yes, I've yeah. done it to both Carter and Cam. <laughs> Just same game. Of, couldn't think of two better gentlemen to Carter because <laughs> yeah, you 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 dome them for four, then they get domed for another four by the Suchi. It's a double explosion. Um, you know, if, if I'm playing certain red decks, I might throw this in the sideboard just as a fun of. Um, I think you run into enough artifacts that it's pretty like merited. If you're like when I was doing big red, I definitely main deck like one or two of them, and I mean even as like a one red hit a mox to one you know red and whatever to hit like a JM day tome and just really just poof, you know like force it to the dome yeah, feels pretty yeah, good. Yeah, and I've used it, again, you mentioned the big mana, like maybe you're playing Gauntlets or, or something else where yeah. you're really ramping up maybe. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not just balls. casually tossed in. Yeah, because you, you really want that access to try to blow up their four drops if they've got ICs or, or whatever. Cool card. All right, Lauren, what's your last one? Bringing it home. Ashnod's Altar. Three mana. Pay zero. Sacrifice one of your creatures and add two colors mana to your mana pool. The effect is played as an interrupt. You may not sacrifice a creature that is already on its way to the graveyard. <laughs> yeah, it was already dead, all right? <laughs> yeah. Let it go. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so I guess my picks in, like, I don't I maybe you've had the theme of, like, middle school or, you know, stood the test of time, but Ashdod's Altar still shows up all the time. It has a home in mini EDH yes, combo It's still decks. a very valuable card. Yeah. I, I just, I am such a sucker for old wording like that. Like, effects that prevent and redirect damage cannot be used to counter this loss of life. Like, it's a little channel where you're like, I'm going to pay a bunch of life, and now you paid a bunch of life. Like, <laughs> dang it! That, <laughs> the, the art on, uh, on the oh, yeah. altar is really cool. Just I, the I, I remember slab. As a kid, yeah, you're just looking at, like, this mad scientist's lab and it's like oh shit you know what evil you know unnatural deeds are going on here it's really cool it's evocative yeah mm -hmm. and there's no one in it it's just this like welcome to this lab yeah. you know like get to the it's altar like you're like, looking like, through a door yeah like your only way to the altar uh so we could pair this with tim's ornithopter maybe kick in a little ice age during renewal there you go now you've got the infinite mana combo online now we can fire up that rocket launcher. Yeah, now you can yeah. fire up the rocket launcher and blow everyone up. Rocket launcher Thanks. was a uh, honorable mention for me. Didn't quite make it to the list. Yeah. Love the art on rocket launcher. Love the, just like, it's it. I remember as a kid, rocket launcher because it's rocket launcher. You play video games. You play Doom. You know, you play like Quake. You're like rocket launcher, sick. I would play it without even fully understanding what it did. And then when you look at it and you're like, wait, sacrifice this turn. So wait, I have to do it all right now? Like, you know, it was so, the way it's worded is very clever. I want to give a lot of credit. So if we're doing like an honorable mention, a rocket launcher, I guess at that point, but it's like two to do a damage, destroy it at the end of the turn. Plus so it's like- next turn. So here's the key. You can activate it at source. So it comes into play basically tapped. Mm -hmm. uh, untap it, but then pass the turn. Now I'll use it on your turn, shoot a bunch of shit with it untap my my lands on my turn, use it again, and then at the end of that turn, I have to sacrifice it. So that's a way to double dip on it. Yeah. Unless they have orcs mechanics. Unless you have orcs mechanics. Then you, you get them for two more. Yeah. <laughs> Broken. Uh, so the last thing I do want to say, because Edders was asking about this Golgothian Silex. So I did look a little bit up on oh, it. Yeah. So I want to be able to talk on it. So that's all I want to say, at least for him. 
but all I could really find is flavor. Because otherwise, if you don't know, that's one of those entire set hoser cards, um, like Apocalypse Chime or City in a Bottle, most notably. Um, cards that just blow up an entire set. Um, but Silex didn't have the double nerf of cards. Can it, it was oh, a yeah. more fair version of bottle. Bottle. Yeah, bottles like you can't even continue. everything up, and you couldn't even play into it. Right. If you had Arabian's cards in your hand, you were pro. You know, uh, you know, prohibited from putting them. I think the Silex is almost like a disc. It, it is. It is actually almost literally a disc because it does cost four, as opposed to bottle, which is what two. Yeah. So you already got to pay four, and then you got to pay one to activate it. To then, yeah. Well, it'll, yeah. All cards from Antiquities expansion, including you're like, oh, son of a bitch, I didn't read the whole card when I activated it. Um, must be, you know, discarded from play. So. It did have to go all at once, and you had to kind of like wipe it. So it was going to be like five to use it all at once. Um, but I, I did. What's interesting, at least the most I could find, what made this card kind of interesting, is that it was. And I'm sure there's a lot more you could read about it if you ever read the books. I don't want to go way, way into it, but it was recovered by like a fisherman. It's just like really trinket or something he found from like the bottom of the or whatever, just floating around in the waters, and he was. Umak, which is a bunch of different tribes that I was reading about when I was re reading about like the wiki and stuff. A lot of them go back to uh, Fallen Empires. So when we get to that set, you guys be ready for Fallen Empires. <laughs> but uh, Felden had to decipher all these glyphs on it. it. Had a bunch of different languages. So when he did, the the inscription was on it: "Wipe the land clear, bring the ending, topple the empires to bring a fresh start, call the end." fill the memories, or fill with memories of the land. So it's basically this huge, it was meant to be this apocalyptic device. Um, and it, when it was discovered um, by, who had it first? Felden? Yeah, when Felden had it, he didn't want Mishra or Urza to have it because they were at war and he didn't want them to use it like against the other or whatever. So, he got he fell ill there's like a whole storyline about that and it, it got into the hands of Thanos who was friends with Urza so he gave it to Urza or sh he gave it to Urza there was another there's a lot of other people and I'm really trying to shorten this so I apologize if there's anybody out there that's hearing this and they're like you know this is completely wrong this is incorrect this, this is but, not canon but the point is what's this is the extended cliff notes yeah I'm trying really hard to like summarize entire novels here but the idea though is it was given to Urza just after he had gotten his spark to become a planeswalker, uh, which was after like, a good fight with his brother or something with Mishra. So Urza was feeling a, a simultaneous guilt for the amount of destruction that they had done to Dominaria in this battle, but also because he's a planeswalker, he could like escape the plane. So he decided to just trigger the Silex and leave the plane to let it destroy everything so he could just cut his losses. And it was so <laughs> devastating, which is kind of why he's sort of like that weird anti-hero where it's like, it ended the war and civilization, um, but he left. And uh, in the wake of that being destroyed, it led to Ice Age. Yeah. All the living things left kind of had to endure the Ice Age and all the tribes that survived the Silex being activated were the tribes that then 
and it, and it gets more convoluted from there. I'm not going to go into it, uh, but there's a whole. It's kind of like from the book Ready Player One, the Orb of Osavox, right? It's this, you know, this Armageddon button. Yeah. You can trigger and just blow everything up on the ground. So yeah, Urza devastated everything. It led to, which is interesting to note, which kind of brings us back to what we were talking about earlier. They had a bunch of sets commissioned to happen. There was a sort of continuity, yeah. but they also did want to make these sets come out to sell product and keep the, the, the product, you know, moving. But ultimately, the next set that was envisioned from like Alpha Beta Unlimited was actually Ice Age, and everything in between the two was meant to build the continuity and build the canon and mm. all these characters and storyline. So Antiquities is an interesting set in that regard, that it is like bridging the intended plot as opposed to Arabian Nights, The Dark, and Legends, which were meant to just pad it out. Damn, dude, what you stick the landing? Yeah, that's... Dude, I'm here for you. All right, and that is our Antiquities retrospective by the cast of Pitcast. Um, anything else that we want to talk about upcoming events or news or notes? What is upcoming? Well, we've got... Um, oh, yeah. Grant is having an old-school tournament in uh, Milwaukee in two weeks. How big is that, do you know? Um, I th- between two and three dozen. Wow. I think it's going to be... Upper twenties, thirty max. Yeah. Yeah, I keep trying to think of the last time that I actually played old school, just old school. Well, Lord's House. Lord's House, but yeah, it was probably the last Lord's time. <laughs> but I wasn't sober for that. Uh, I don't yeah. remember anything. Other than Lord's House, it's been quite a while. It's been a while. Yeah. I did go to Kumite. So yeah. I had a little That was last summer, dude. Yeah, that was COVID. Wait, you? No, that was two years yeah. ago. Right? Yeah. <laughs> or was it last year where everybody got COVID? That was last year. Yeah, yeah. it was last year. Yeah. It was last year. But you I wasn't there. I mean, you were all right, though. I yeah. didn't go to Kumite, but oh. uh, the, the, the COVID Kumite. <laughs> the super spreader. Kumite is, is what it's known as. Yeah, nobody got, nobody got COVID from Kumite. Or no uh, lords did. No one that mattered. No one that mattered. Yep. Well, we get our vaccine. So yeah, Grant's doing an old school tournament in a couple weeks in Milwaukee. But the twenty seventh in August, or is it twenty seventh? The one at Jake. Uh, and Jaco is doing yeah. Team Tactical, team tactical. Yeah, which will be old school ninety five, middle yeah. school, and vintage. I'm and hoping that's not our ninety five event for the year. No, we'll do we'll do it again. In fall. Okay. We're on fall brawl. Fall brawl. Hell yeah. Y'all can kneel down to the master on that one. <laughs> 75 Ice Age cards back. Let's go. All right. Anything else to share? All right. Thanks, everybody.